You can see my award-winning climate comedy show spoilers at a festival near you, provided you live near or are going to McHuncliffe or Wells Comedy Festivals. More dates added soon near you, conceivably, who knows what might happen. And if you are at Mac, come and see ComCom Redacted live at 4pm on the Saturday. Go to stuartgoldsmith.com and click the very attractive banner image to find out more. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. And if you have a lot of mailing to do, Stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. It streamlines your processes to make your business more efficient, which makes you less busy. Mail checks, invoices, legal documents, and everything you need to keep your business running with Stamps.com. Seamlessly connect with every major marketplace and shopping cart. Schedule package pickups and see your cheapest and fastest shipping options from different carriers. With rates up to 89% off USPS and UPS rates. And with the Stamps.com mobile app, you can take care of mailing and shipping wherever you are. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Sign up with code PROGRAM for a 4-week trial, plus free postage and a free digital scale. No long-term commitments or contracts. That's Stamps.com. Code PROGRAM. Hello and welcome to the show. I'm Stuart Goldsmith. Today I am speaking to the absolutely effervescent Matt Richardson, a man who I know as a stand-up comedian, but who in the last 10 years or so has had an astonishingly, um, maybe profound isn't the word, what's the, what's the word? Pro, uh, you know, lots of. He's been on telly a lot. Hundreds of episodes he talks about, but not the sort of thing I watch. <laughs> uh, Matt is an absolute joy. He he's, he talks about his parallel careers as kind of like almost a TV personality presenter and host and occasionally guest on things like celebrity most haunted house and stuff like that maybe you're into that stuff i hope you are there's certainly a lot of people that are um but uh it's not my wheelhouse at all and so we have a lot of fun in this conversation trying to get to the bottom of the difference between his two kind of parallel careers the similarities between them what frustrates him about uh the the crossover between them or lack thereof uh, and then in the second part of this interview we'll really get into some uh, nitty gritty regarding his own stand-up and uh, maybe some of his bad habits along the way. Uh, He's very, very candid, which you know I always love on the show. Um, And we'll also explore what it means to be good with mums. And in the extras, oh man, he's going to tell you how to do well on a reality TV show from a very insider perspective. So 25 minutes of extras with Matt Richardson, uh, available to you if you're in the Insiders Club. If you're not, you can sign up at comedianscomedian.com slash insiders. Right. Let's go for it. This is Matt Richardson. We'll begin with your we'll begin with your showbiz lushness. What does that what does that mean? And because you've got a you've got the reason I pick up on that is you've got an unusual relationship to showbiz as comedians go. Yes. I would say I am one of or, you know, in in my TV career, I am probably not a comedian. <laughs> that's that's what I would say. Like I'm a, I'm I don't get booked for the comedy things. I get booked to do like you know very weird things. Um, and I think that means that I've sort of slightly have erred into reality. And you know, I've done it. I've done a couple of those sorts of shows, um, which means that 
you know, lots of comedians are sort of showbiz allergic. Like, you know, someone like Sarah Millican doesn't go and hang out at showbiz places, whereas I fucking love it <laughs> and, um, and, and sort of do love that side of the world a bit. Um, but I just balance it out with then going and doing the frog and bucket in Bolton. Yes. Okay. Okay. So do you have quite a sort of, um, uh, would you say that it's kind of parallel careers? Do you think there are there is a difference between Matt Richardson, the comedian, and Matt Richardson, Matt Richardson the reality show contestant or presenter? Yes. Um, so I very often will go on because oh, it's this weird thing of the kind of telly I've done, the amount of TV I've done. I've done like hundreds of episodes of things now, but I can't sell like 2000 seats on tour. I can still sell like a little kind of 100 seater or 150 seater. Um, but for me, I've got this TV career. So I get stopped in the street all the time, but I can't sell any tickets. It's, it, they're so different to each other. <laughs> That it's it's really strange. So very often, um, I'll do a like I'm really sort of in the clubs at the moment. I'm really, really, really going for it in the mm-hmm. clubs. And um, people come up to me afterwards and they're like, "Oh my god, I had no idea you did stand up." And that is a lot of what <laughs> my issue. It's a put po- the poisoned chalice of the direction that my life has gone in. I suppose is and does it when you say poison? Does that does that hurt? Does it burn when people say, "I didn't know you were a comic." No, 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 not at all. But I'm just like, God, I wish you did, because then I could go and do a proper tour. (laughs) (laughs) Okay, so let's well, let's let's go with that in mind. Let's having teased the audience. Hey, there's this famous telly guy that you didn't know was a comedian, but you should. People should know you as a comedian. I know you're you're definitely known on the circuit as a comic. But then, yeah, yeah, I think within comedy for sure like i'm i'm very much and like i'm a re- i've always like really like hit the clubs hard when, whenever i've done anything so it's not like i've never not done comedy like you know like someone like i know alex zane um and he just sort of doesn't do comedy he stopped doing comedy and just did presenting and then sort of dipped back in and out whereas i've always gigged that's interesting that you mention Alex. I don't know him well. I think I've only worked with him once where it was a sort of a corporate day out where he was the host of all the events, but he was the sort of, the, he was the profile host where Muggins here went on and did all the interstitial warm up. <laughs> I'd host and then I'd go, right back in my box, here's your host. And then he'd come on and say a few words, <laughs> which is that, you know, no resentment there at all. But from what I know of Alex, he was, he was sort of fated as a kind of next big thing of a comic. And then I suppose, and I've not spoken to him about this, so maybe he's sort of incorrect of me to say, but I, I, my assumption was that he was kind of a, a, a young, energetic, fun, funny comedian and, Telly went, oh, you should be presenting, and then offered him so much money to present that he never went back to comedy. Is that? Do you think that's yeah, fair, knowing him? It, yeah, I, I think I do think that's fair, and also because I, I sometimes will, but he lives not that far from me, so oh, in, sometimes in, I bump in into him like, getting a coffee. <laughs> yeah, yeah, in TV land where we all live near each other, um, we um, he lives around the corner. Uh, weird, totally coincidentally, so I bump into him every so often, and he's like, oh, what have you been doing? I was like, oh, well, I did like three gigs last night, and he just goes. Why? <laughs> why, okay? why are you? Why do you bother? And I'm like, well, I, also, Alex Zane was making telly when everyone was getting paid silly money to do telly. Okay. So he's like, I don't need to do loads anymore. Whereas I'm like, I still need to gig to eat. Yes. Okay. Okay. So let, well, let's let's zoom in on why do you bother? 
Why do you bother? Like, you do need to do gigs to eat, but there are other ways of... You could you could focus more on telly. Clearly, there yeah. is something in you that's like... Like, do you... When you wake up in the morning, or when you... When you give your job title to people, do you say, I'm a comic? I'm not talking car insurance. I'm talking, like, socially. Do you, <laughs> do you identify as a comic, or do you identify as a TV presenter stroke personality? Yes, I identify as a comic, and I've... And the thing, my, my thing is, is I've a massive chip on my shoulder about not being kind of like a credible, cool comic because I've gone and done Dancing on Ice and things like that. Like, and it does sort of bother me a bit. Like, coming on this podcast, I'm like so excited because this feels like a little nod from the industry that I am an actual comedian. Yeah. And it's I really of, had. You know, I had to run you past. Like, I had I to run you past the board of the comedians comedian podcast. There were several pitch meetings exactly. where I really championed you against the, the faceless <laughs> board that represents the comedy industry. <laughs> yeah, and, and you know, I, 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 the uh, the comic who said this to me once shall remain nameless. Um, it, it was one of the most hurtful things I think <laughs> someone said. And this comic has said quite a lot of hurtful things to me over the years, really. I don't think we get on. Um, but uh, the last time I saw him at a gig a few years ago, he, we were doing this awful gig together um, at, like, f- at a university. And he went, oh, I'm surprised you're here gigging because you're sort of more of a personality now, aren't you? <laughs> and that like cut me to my core because I take stand-up really seriously. And I, like, you know, I really love being a comic and I love gigging. Like if I could gig three times a night, seven nights a week, I seven nights a week, I absolutely would. Like it's my favourite thing in the world. Okay. And so, why did and what does being a personality mean to you that it hurts so much? I guess the fact that you know, um, it, it's like, oh, you don't have this skill anymore. And I think that's the big thing with comedy is that I'm really proud that I have a skill set. Um, you know, I, I meet lots of reality stars and people like that who don't have skill sets and I I have a real sort of badge of honour that I am a comedian and I can go and like be a carpenter almost and work in between these TV jobs in the clubs while they're just waiting for the next the next thing to come along that they can just say yes to to be paid again whereas I I see it as a real a, a really hard thing to do comedy in entertainment it's the hardest of all of the entertainments that's my genuine opinion and um I'm really proud I do it. So I get really annoyed when people go, oh, you're not really a comedian anymore, are you? And I'm like, yeah, I Someone am. said to me, someone said to me years ago, he's like, oh, are you, are you still on the circuit? And there was someone like a peer, someone I'd come up with. And they said, are you still yeah. on the circuit? And it hurts so much. I was like, am I not doing it enough? Like, just because we've not been in each other's orbit. Like, what do you mean? I'm not I making know. waves enough. I'm not kind of profile enough. But then the circuit isn't profile. It just means we haven't run into each other. But I, I experienced a similar sort of, ouch sensation because i'm like yeah you're not just talking about the thing i spend my time doing you're talking about my identity and how i perceive myself um and i think that that's um like i I think now when i reflect on that i think um actually i don't know how healthy that is for my identity to be so wrapped up in me being a comedian do you do you think it's healthy is it simply that you have kind of like desire for that and it's perfectly healthy that that occupies so much of your mind no i don't think it's healthy and um so i had a i had a weird experience with it where um i did so i did a radio show for a few years and basically um and i'll talk about it very frankly um uh it it came to an end um and it came to an end in a really horrible way basically i was on virgin radio for four years um four and a half years chris evans came in um uh to take over the breakfast show and disliked me okay 
uh, which meant the writing was on the wall. But rather than get rid of me, they made my life as miserable as possible in the hope that, that I would leave. Mm. And it got to the point where it was such an affecting thing. I basically came to terms with no longer doing any of this. Yeah, okay. And I had a moment where I went, this is so awful. I don't want to do comedy anymore. I don't want to do anything because they it made my it was so such a hard time. And that moment for me, I think was a turning point in having a much healthier relationship with being a comedian. Because I've done it since I was 18. I've always been a comedian, you know. I basically it's the only thing I've ever done. So it means that um it was I was really hard. I kind of had this sort of 6 weeks where I kind of had to mourn the loss of being a comedian. And then once I'd mourned that loss, I'm a better comic for it, I think, because I'm less stressed about being a comedian and what that entails and what that means to other people and what that means in my life and on the circuit and to other comics as well. I think that's the hard thing with this job is you really, you do really care about what your peers think of Mm -hmm. you. Mm -hmm. Just when you said that, you said you you had to mourn the loss of being a comedian, not mourn the loss of being a radio person. Because I was going to quit everything. Right, I see. It was, such, it was such an awful experience. I'd been a comic for years, obviously, longer than I'd been on the radio. But I went, I am done with all of this. Oh, it's all of this. I see what you mean. All of this in the yeah, sense all of... All of this, all of everything. Having, I was like having looking thoughts to, and saying them with your mouth to audiences. Anything. I, I was going to go and retrain to do something totally different. I was going to go and find a, a totally different job in a totally different sector, like go and work in advertising or go and work in some other, uh, God knows what, you know, I was going to go back to university or something like that. And I totally accepted that. And then um, I ended up leaving Virgin and I went to Edinburgh. Um, I, I did a really kind of low key Edinburgh where I just did the Tron and sort of did, a, and did it as kind of half old stuff, half new stuff kind of like, and had like the best month I've ever had in Edinburgh, just enjoying it. And then I went, okay, cool. No, I can, I can still do this. But the fact that I'd sort of in my head detached from it, I think gave me a healthier relationship with being a comic and being, you know, in that world. Yes, yes. You, I'm better. I'm, I'm a better comic now. I care less about it being wrapped up in my identity. There is a. I'm sure there's a word for that. It's like, um, it's one of those uh, kind of. Um, hero's journey kind of tropes, isn't it? That like uh, you had to yeah. let go of the thing to discover what you really all the all the time in a kind of way. Do you know what I mean? <laughs> like one of those things, but true, a- a- absolutely. And and also, look, I think a lot of people have um, a career wobble. Uh, uh, you know, when they're I sort of it was happening. You know, in my late twenties, and I, I think a lot of people go, "What am I doing?" Like a friend of mine quit his job and um, did because he hated it, and kind of spent two years kind of working out what he wants to do, setting up his own business, and it was around the same time as that. But it's just that even though my job is cool because I'm a stand-up comedian and everyone thinks that's a great job, I think I still had a mini career crisis of like, "Is this what I want to do forever?" And feel like this because it's a it's a stressful job and it's a job full of rejection. Do you think? Do I want another 20 years of no's and indifferent audiences? Before we get, I want to get stuck into the the comedy bit. This is the the greater part of your career. Um, Before we move away from the the kind of the the TV, the fluffier kind of the presenter kind of thing. What is it that makes you a good presenter? What is it that people like? Not just on radio, but just, you know, what are your qualities that people warm to in the world of TV? Like I can see you on TV on these shows and go, yeah, that makes sense. But I can't articulate why. Can you? No, I can't. I think um, I I, I think why I've always worked is I'm sort of quite light and fluffy, but I'm slightly abrasive. So on these shows, I've got I've always had like 
I've always done really well on uh, when you you know big reality shows always have a spin-off show where they have people coming on to comment. Yeah. Uh, and they sort of, I'm quite good on those because I'm very good at sort of being a bit cutting, okay. but not too cutting. So I think that's always like, and it's and I'm a little bit sort of like that. So I think I can do all the, hey, welcome to this and this and this. But then also there's a little edge of, nastiness isn't the right word, but of sort of the comedian, I think, mm. in me going, well, here's something to undermine that slightly. Mm. And I think that quite works. I think that works. Although... In some shows, it's just you need to be light and fluffy, and there's not really much else to do. Yeah. So, and does that it just do, is? Oh, he's do quite, those do those oh, maintain God, your interest? Like, are you fine with just being light and fluffy? Is it is it fun enough? Yeah. Is it kind of engaging enough for your brain that it's telly and you're doing a job and hitting your marks and saying the right thing? Is that kind of absorbing enough? Yeah. You know what? So I've never done a show where I've gone. Oh, this is boring like tv stuff like so i've done lots of live telly as well so i did a series on w uh we did two series of a show called celebrity celebrity haunted mansion and chris the, look, once again one of these things no one's ever i watched, don't think i've heard of the was, channel w w so it's part of the uk tv oh i see i, so, I very briefly worked for uk tv um writing interstitials yeah. writing links at just around yeah. the time where they came in and said, UK TV G2 is going to be given a new name. Can you think of anything to our little writer's room? And then none of us yeah. could. And then six months later, they said, we're going to call it Dave. And I rolled my eyes and went, well, that's not going to work. Well, more for me. <laughs> you know, I don't know anything about TV. Well, so W so, would have um, been, was it the, what channel turned it? Watch. It was Watch. Okay. It was watch, and I think you know, you know they've got Dave is for the men, and W is for the oh, women. That's for basically that, that's <laughs> basically how it. So like Emma Willis has got a show about delivering babies okay, on W, great. like things like that. Like it's very much kind of that. So leaning W sort of is for women, but discreetly, it's like a soft acronym. Yeah, gotcha. it's a soft kind of like I, I would say that their audience skews female in the way that Dave probably skews gotcha. male. You know, not overly, but yeah, it does sure. skew yeah. that way. So Christine Lampard and I hosted a TV series called Celebrity Haunted Mansion, where we put ten celebrities into a haunted mansion to do real seances and real ghost hunts with proper ghost hunters. <laughs> proper and, ghost um, God forbid it, you got any unproper ghost hunters there. <laughs> well, Could have been a disaster. Rather than doing it like you know like. Like a Derek Akora where it's all fake and they throw things round yeah, okay. and all that. Like, we went, no, it's going to be done seriously. And it was for a week. It was a week-long stretch. Three hours a night, live okay. TV. But the problem is, ghosts aren't real. <laughs> so... It ended up being a really good fun show because we basically had to just pull three hours. Oh, and, and also there was three hours a night and a spin-off show at tea time. So I hosted the spin-off okay. alone that was like talking about what hadn't happened the night before. Okay, um, but the second series of that, it was we were doing in this, nothing really happened. We, we had really good celebrities, like people like Katie Price was on it and Alison Hammond. Like we had re- They really splashed the cash on it. Um, but on the spin-off show every day, it was me... And two producers going, well, there was no, go- nothing happened. So we basically ended up make, just doing whatever we wanted for an hour a day because the, the stakes on, on that were so low. Like, it was the highest rated show at the, in their 5 p.m. slot ever, and we were getting 75,000 okay. viewers. Okay. So we, we basically went, well, let's just, let's, so like we had a ghost work experience on the show who every day would do like a different job. And no one from the channel went, you can't be doing this. We go, oh, we're just going to do this today. And they're like, whatever you want. Yeah. Absolutely great. And even though it's one of those shows that you think, oh, that's going to be like a really dry thing. 
it ended up being really good fun because we just went, oh, we can do whatever we want with this. The only, the, I've never done anything boring, I would say. Like, I've never done sort of any magazine-y kind of one-show-esque things, which I know that Ian Sterling and Joel Domit have done okay. a bit of now. I think that would be boring. I've done... A, a, show, a show where Katie Price is in a seance going, if there's any ghosts in here, you feel free to touch my tits. I was like, yeah, this is really entertaining to be making this. <laughs> and it is thrilling. Like, live TV is really good fun. And I made a, I did a, uh, and I really enjoy the teamwork aspect of making okay. a show. Okay. That's what I really love about it is that we all come together and, like, everyone's trying to make this thing, which is the opposite of standards. And presumably as well, there is an element of you which is kind of without... Like, for all that you enjoy undermining stuff for the sake of a comic premise, like, you do yeah. you do really get off on stuff which I would consider to be a load of shit. Do you know what I mean? Like, I, yeah, I would absolutely. go... I'd be climbing the walls if in a celebrity haunted mansion. I'd just be... It would, re- it yeah, would upset yeah. me. I'd feel, I'd feel unlike myself. Whereas I think your tastes are such that you can go, well, this is like... This is just a laugh. I like... And also, I like... I like all that reality stuff. Like, I come from a, I come from a place where, you know, I don't watch all it, but I watch the Real Housewives of Beverly Hills and all that. Like, I love all, I love that kind of stuff. Like, I, it does suit my taste. It yeah. kind of, I, as, as a comedian, I'm not a comic. And I think there are comics that have strayed into reality things that sort of hate it. And you yes, right. Okay. Okay. Whereas I don't hate it all. I'm like, well, this is absolutely batshit and brilliant and yes. ridiculous. And I really enjoy that I element I think that's of it. probably a big part of your kind of bookability as a reality peripheral person. It's like, if you're clearly yeah. enjoying yourselves, people want to work with people who are enjoying themselves. Absolutely. And also, um, I've done loads of these kind of, you know, you know, where you talk like the, the you know, the, the your fired-esque yeah. shows on The Apprentice, it's, which I, I've never done that one because I don't watch The Apprentice. But like, I only do the ones where I watch where I watch the show anyway. Okay. Like, whereas I've been in green rooms and there are people going, so what's that guy called? And you're like, God, you've just taken the yeah. job rather than because I think people, especially these shows that have got mega fans and the people watching spin-off shows are the of mega, course. mega yeah. fans of those yeah, shows. Yeah. They can sniff out if you have not watched yeah. it. So I remember years ago, gutted, I should have done it. I got asked to do the Game of Thrones. I was just thinking of Game of Thrones. That would be that. the only thing that I could contribute to. <laughs> so I got asked to do it yeah. years ago and I went, oh, I don't really watch Game of Thrones. I don't watch Game yeah. of Thrones. Whereas what I should have done is started watching Game of Thrones because I then started watching it two years later and went, what the could fuck have, have I been gig. missing out could on? I could have been, and I could have been paid to do it, which is, it was the one, I did a Westworld one where you talked about right. Westworld and I loved Love Westworld. Westworld. So that really worked. But um, it's, you know, so I've done the slightly more, you know, high end heritage ones. <laughs> Prestige. Prestige. Presti- I do. Uh, yeah. Prestige. Re- t- Prestige television. red button. <laughs> That's very, very much <laughs> my genre. And yes, I, I have it on good authority from a source that you are incredibly good with mums. And I, I'm interested in how that kind of, how that quality, what the, what the dynamic is between that quality and your telliness. I would love to know your source. That's really funny. Um, yeah, I, I, re- I really like, I really enjoy the company of middle-aged women. <laughs> like, I, I, I think the thing is, I'm really close with my yeah. mum. Like, my mum and I are very tight. So it means that I think I, I've always had that kind of relationship with, I like other people's mums. Like I like me, I like chatting to other people's parents and things like that. I find it really interesting, and that's part of the show. Like basically, it's the same skill. It's just interviewing punters. Yes. yes. 
But yeah, who told you I'm I good was, with mums? It was Angela really... Barnes. <laughs> but not unsolicited. <laughs> I asked for some insight no, no, from someone no. who knows you well. Oh, brilliant. Yeah. yeah. Um, I, and I do, I really, but I'm quite happy to sit and chat to anybody. And I love, like, I'm the person who, like, my girlfriend and I went bowling last night. And, like, I struck up a conversation with the people on the lane next to us. And she's like, can you yeah, not? Okay. Like, we're out bowling. <laughs> but I want to talk to people and, like, talk to everybody. Yes. And I think that's what makes me good with mums. I'm genuinely quite interested in having a chat with everyone. So when it comes to your stand-up, what yes. qualities that make you good at reality telly make you good or hinder you in stand-up? I would say, you know what? I don't think there's anything that hinders in stand-up. I think stand-up makes you better at every other job in entertainment. That's my genuine belief that any you, you put a presenter on something, if you find a stand-up that can do that, they will do it better. Yeah, okay. Why, so why is that? that? I mean, I, I, I think because, I would react to that in kind of a, because I'm a stand-up, I'd go, well, yeah, obviously, because like we've been running with lead weights for years worth of gigs. Like We're ready for anything. We're like a start-up. We're like an, you know, all of exactly. that. Exactly. It's exactly that is that, you know, someone who has been, you know, and loads of people, they learn on the job in live TV, you know, people who've done like hundreds of hours of live TV, like Holly Willoughby or whoever, you know, starting kids TV and work their way up. But stand ups like no one's thrown a pint at her. But but does that make someone implicitly better at the nuance of a job because i remember my equivalent for that is having done years as a street performer to then become a stand-up i thought well wow i've got so many hours behind the wheel and i have but i think about it now and i think well maybe in the beginning i had to unlearn all of that because actually i wanted nuance as a comedian rather than just bash 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 look at me yes and i think with the presenting side of it um I remember my first day of doing a presenting, my first ever presenting job, but the first day, um, the producer pulled me aside. She went, look, great day. We should have spoken about this before because you're new. You've never done this. Um, when they tell, when they tell you something, that is not a jump off for you to then do a story. <laughs> when when they're queuing you up, going, they're not queuing you up. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. You, you are the secondary. Gotcha. You, it's about them, not about you. Whereas I think with stand up, I had to sort of unlearn the bit of going, well, I've got a better thing about this with a punchline at the end of it, so I'm going to do it anyway. Gotcha. You don't do that. You you let that was quite hard because you're like, oh, but I, I've got the thing to say. I've got a better thing to say. Yes. So let me say my better thing. But it's not about that when you're present. Especially like I've done lots of things with punters, like you know, with real people that you have to kind of like meet and things. It's about them. It's not about you. And that was really hard because stand up is all about you and you need to get in the funniest thing. And that's not what those kind of shows are about necessarily. So I had to unlearn that. But when things go wrong, being a stand up, uh, I think, and doing that, you know, really doing the hours in the clubs, when something goes wrong on telly, it's never as bad as when it goes terribly wrong in a club. So you've just got that bit of you that's unfazed because you're like, yeah, the auto queue's down. Um, there's been some technical issues here and there, but I'm not at the frog and bucket on a Saturday with a group of stags yelling the word cunt at me. So therefore, I'm quite chill about this. This is Matt. I mean, you can tell, right? If you were casting anything that required a bubbly, funny presence that can just walk up to anyone in the street and talk to them, 
Matt's your guy, right? Like he's in a really, he's so sort of, uh, well, I mean, you can hear what he's like. He's great. He is like, I mean, as he says himself, a caffeinated puppy. Um, so we're going to hear more from Matt. We're going to talk about in the, in the second half of this, we're going to get more into his stand up. We're going to talk about the dynamic between his OCD and his fear of doing badly on stage and how that may have had a long term effect, how that might have hampered his creativity as it does. I'm sure for all of us. I mean, what would the comedy uh, pantheon look like if no one had any fear of getting things wrong, fear of bombing, fear of of promising a good time to everyone and then letting them down. Just, I mean, it would be unrecognisable. Imagine your favourite comedian. You might think they're fearless. They're still scared. Imagine if they were actually fearless. We're going to get right into that and uh, and it's really good fun too. So uh, you can follow Matt um, on Twitter and TikTok at MattRichardson3. I imagine he's on Instagram as well, but I haven't bothered looking. Maybe he got there first and is at Matt Richardson on Instagram. Who knows? You can go to mattrichardsoncomedy.co.uk. Um, presumably one of Matt Richardson's one to two. Already got the dot com. Bastards. Um, you can uh, do that. You can follow this podcast at ComComPod on Twitter. And I mean, if you want to follow the Instagram, you can. But there's literally nothing on it. Go to ComediansComedian.com to catch up with the show. I really must get around to updating that because I think there's a there's a little widget on that uh, WordPress website. WordPress is a horror. But I think it goes, hey, coming up, Pierre Novelli. That was absolutely six months ago. Um, and you can find out everything I'm up to at StuartGoldsmith.com, including my remote and in-person talks to business, in which I distill insights from the very nearly 400 comedians who've been on this show to help you cultivate resilience and the ability to bounce back to all levels from team members to what I recently learned is called C-suite and uh, you can find out all about that at stuartgoldsmith.com now let's get back to the wonderful and just so much fun to be with Matt Richardson one size fits all seemed like a good idea for clothes nice dress uh, it's a it's a t-shirt until you tried it on same goes for your healthcare. That's why United Healthcare offers a variety of flexible, budget-friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. So whether you're between jobs, coming off a parent's plan, or even missed open enrollment, you can find the plan that fits you best. Find out more about United Healthcare coverage at uh1.com. That's uh1.com. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. If you have a lot of mailing to do, Stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. Use the Stamps.com mobile app to mail everything you need to keep your business running with up to 89% off USPS and UPS. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Use code PROGRAM for a special offer. That's Stamps.com, code PROGRAM. Let's start at the beginning then, stand-up-wise. You were a teenager yes. when you did all the new act competitions and you were in the finals, I think, of... You were a sort of yeah, in the couple. finals person. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think it was quite similar to you. You know, I was in the finals, but I yeah. didn't place. I, I often came I, third. I, <laughs> did no, you? I no, oh, okay, so I, 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 I think I, I came third in one of them. Oh, God, I can't... You fact-check that. I think I came third in one of them. But because my, yeah, my friend so, said something particularly hurtful. He sent me a text at the time saying, everyone remembers the third man on the moon. So I've got myself... <laughs> I've, got, I've got it in my head that I'm a third guy. But no, I think you're right. I think I didn't place. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I was, I was the guy that was left in orbit. 
on the yes, uh, that didn't even get to go sure. on the moon. Um, so uh, so like my finals, yeah, I started very early and then did like so you think you're funny, Chortle, Student Comedy yeah. Award. I did all of them, but those are the two big finals I was in. And then I don't want to brag, but I am the runner-up of the Reading Comedy Festival New Act of the nice. Year. Uh, Henry Ginsburg beat me. Oh yeah, Henry, and, um, and I won like yeah, Henry, and I won like the Newbury one and the bar, all the little ones I won, but the big ones I was very much like. Probably sure, 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 sure. Okay. On the night, and you, you were, know, if, if there was an And the key place. thing is you were a teenager at the time, like 18, 19. Yeah, so when I... So you think you're funny, I was 19 okay. for the final of that. And what was it that attracted you to comedy at the time? Like, who were the, who were the people that you wanted to be like? So I, it, I have wanted to be a comedian since the age of 14. This is my teenage dream footballer job. Which is great, um, uh, but I, I used to I used to love. It. I remember being in a a parents' evening when I was at sixth form, and my, well, the teacher was a really great teacher. I had my politics teacher, and he said, um, "What do you want to be?" And I went, "Oh, I'm not really sure." And my mum went, "No, t- I think you should tell him. I think he'll I think he'll get it." And I went, "I want to be a stand up comedian." And he went, "And you absolutely can." Oh. He goes, "You've got the right disposition." He's like, "You've got." He, he told me a very, what, what I think is a, a compliment. He went, "He went the things they teach at private school." you've got like that confidence in yourself and that assuredness so you go and do that if anyone can go and do their dream i think you can and he comes to gigs to this day like he's an absolutely amazing man mr browning what what a great gent i don't think i'd do it that is an incredible um so that guy he was your your career's advisor was that the no no he's my he was my politics a level teacher (laughs) what an incredible what an incredibly supportive thing and an incredibly supportive mum. And like, I yeah. wonder if that, I wonder the extent to which that is reflected in the, the, the origins of many more comedians these days than it ever has been. I remember speaking yeah. to Harriet Kemsley came on the podcast. She was talking about watching live at the Apollo with her parents and her parents going, you should do that. Do you know what I mean? Like, like just, oh, it's absolutely really? beautiful. It's lovely. Um, but that idea that like, like just a real sort of positivity and nurturing and going, yeah, those, and particularly I'm very interested in that, that quality that people who have private, who go to private school have, what is that quality? It's not just confidence, is it? And I suppose it's kind of verging on entitlement, the sense that I'm going to, whatever I do, I'll fit in. And actually, if you behave like that, you often do fit in because you just kind of convince the world into it. Also, I think starting stand up so young um, meant that I, I just went, I think when you're, I can't believe it now, but like I remember being sort of 19 and comparing jonglers and thinking, what, what idiot would let a 19-year-old? But also now I would go, no, don't go. In. If, if a 19-year-old comic went to me, oh, I've been booked to compare a weekend at Jonglers. I'd be like, don't, don't do it. It'll be a nightmare. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it's not for you. But when you're 19, you just go, yeah, fine, I'll do that. Like, and I think I very much had a fearlessness that I was like, well, I'll just go and do I'll go and do a gig and I'll enter that competition. And I didn't really think about, oh, well, will this make a career or not? I was just like, yeah, why not? Because I just wanted to do one gig originally to see if I could okay. do it. And it was fun. So I did another one. And then someone, um, and then Milton Jones was doing a tour date in my hometown. And I emailed him asking to support him on his tour date. And I had done two That gigs. is private school confidence, which I registered. You didn't go to a yes. private school, but that's private school confidence. No, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Um, and I just went, hey, I've been doing stand-up. I'd love to come and do like 10 minutes before your gig. And he sent me, and he doesn't remember this, which really, <laughs> I, I, which I think is really sad. He sent me, well, the loveliest email 
about like, hey, I've got this guy that comes on tour with me. Obviously, you're quite new. Tour support is a bit more different. Like, really explained yeah. what it what it, what the differences were. And then he went, however, the position you're in, there are these competitions, yeah. and you should do those. And they're all called this, and these are the websites, and enter them. They all happen all year. That's what you should do. And that's why I ended up entering the competitions. I hadn't heard of So You Think You're Funny when I'd only done two gigs in Oxford. Yeah. Um, but Milton Jones sent me this absolutely gorgeous reply, um, sort of basically going, fuck <laughs> off, but in this direction that's going to be beneficial. This will be good for both of us if you fuck off. That again, what a lovely supportive thing to happen upon two gigs in as well. Not happen upon, but to make happen from from, from your yeah, perspective. And, and, and you know what? I think what what people often ask me about comedy is like, oh, is it really competitive? And, I'm like, and actually, everyone is very supportive. When I was new, there were a few kind of uh, you know, and you, you you live in Bristol now, so Olver, mm-hmm. Mark Olver, very much is a big advocate of Absolutely. new comedy and helping new comedians. And there are loads of those people on the circuit that just go, yeah come and do this why not you know like um and i think that is a really but i came from that atmosphere pre that so my mum was going yes if you want to go and do comedy like you go and do it because there's nothing worse than being on your deathbed going i wish i'd done that yeah yeah for sure like i think my my uh my, i had a grandparent who was like a really good singer and they always they could have probably done it but they didn't and then they wish they had they went go and fail at it and then you can Say so you tried it at least. Yeah. That was that was my mum's attitude of go and give it a go, and if it doesn't work, it doesn't work. But you gave it a go, so you can never live with that. And regret. what did you? What were your kind of main weapons as a comic at that early stage? Was it sort of? I mean, you clearly seem to like you're a very fluent talker, and you're very yeah. enthusiastic, and you have a kind of yes. bubbly sort of get on with people energy. I mean, something I had in the yeah. early days was people would always say, "Oh, as soon as this guy walks on stage, you relax. You think this is going to be fine," you know. And I was like, "Oh, yes. that's kind of annoying." I'd rather they said he's really funny, but no, you've got to accept that comedy teachers. You have to accept that what they all think <laughs> must be the truth. So, what what were you? What did you have? That kind of like the the optimism, the self, the kind of naive self belief of adolescence. I, I remember one of my first ever reviews. Uh, they called me a caffeinated puppy. Um, which was so I was super enthusiastic and I thought you know all my stuff was about things that were I really loved kind of like you know I loved the Russells basically were my kind of real big big loves like Russell Howard was my favourite comedian ever and um, you know it's and it's really cool in comedy because you get to meet your heroes uh, because everyone does smaller gigs in like I know Russell fairly well now and um but he he was someone that i really liked and i that's my stuff was very kind of like this brilliant oh my god this brilliant thing and like i I loved that sort of comedy whereas i'm not so much like that Mm -hmm. now it's much more um it's kind of i've sort of fallen into different flow but it was like hey this my friend said this hilarious thing and then this hilarious thing happened it was all very like isn't life great was my sort of weapon but also i had the great thing of going i am the youngest person in the Mm -hmm. room and that's a, a really nice jumping off point of this is how I see your world mm-hmm. as a 19 or 18 or 19 year old when I first started doing the club. Yes, I think that's it's that really, it's really useful. That's a really interesting observation. Yes, if you if you come with an inbuilt angle of any sort, then you don't yeah. need to walk on going, uh, well, what should we talk about? <laughs> you know? Yeah, it's and you know, and it's hard. And I think um, anyone that's got that straight away. So, uh you know, I used to just come on and basically reference my age and that would get yeah. a laugh. I'd have a joke about how young I was and then that would be that would be it. 
and then straight you straight into your thing and it was all about living at home with my parents and like you know finding your mum's vibrator when you live at home with your parents and all those sorts of yeah. things so it worked because the audience that I was playing to were probably in their late 30s for, even now comedy clubs I'd say it's sort of 30 plus isn't it mm-hmm. really mm-hmm. mostly unless you do mm-hmm. top secret and then they're all children <laughs> but um uh, they're all very young there but um so I was always like I had this angle that like I'm I'm talking about your life from your child's yeah. perspective and that really worked I yes. think. Um and then you kept doing it and then I noticed it just slowly started to not quite work <laughs> as much because I was getting a little just that little bit older. Um once I got to sort of like 24 25 people are like no you're a you're an <laughs> adult man. Do you do you when you look back at that period in your kind of your oeuvre in comedy do you like, do you recognise any kind of bad habits that you would have had as a younger comic who was just kind of 99% enthusiasm and let's do this? Yeah, I would. I I, uh, I had loads of bad uh, ticks on stage. Like, I used to say right okay. all the time. So right. When right, I was doing this thing right with my friend right. That was one that was because I think I was so scared of not talking. Yeah. Whereas that's something I think I've grown into. I still talk, I talk really fast mm-hmm. on stage. I always have. But I'm not afraid to not talk for five to ten seconds okay. now. Whereas when I first started, I just needed there to be constant That's kind of a classic motor male thing, isn't it? Because if you've done yeah. well and been rewarded by, you know, in career terms and audience terms, by the fact that you're talking really fast, the idea of letting go of anything that you started out doing must be very frightening. Yeah, and I think so I think that was a really bad habit. Like I used to watch because when I started out, it was um, it was like my my school year is mm-hmm. sort of Angela Barnes, Romesh, uh, Rob Beckett, who were all quite a bit older than me. Yeah. So they had that life experience. Like Romesh used to come on stage, and it would take him like thirty seconds to do his first joke because yeah. he's not afraid to stand there and do it slowly. Sure. That he, that opening joke where he goes, you know. I know what you're thinking. I don't know if you remember this. It's the yeah, best yeah, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. I know what you're thinking. <laughs> Asian comedian going to be banging on about being Asian the whole time. Yeah. Uh, only 5% of my set is about being Asian. The other 95% is about my issues with white people. But he'd really pause between the banging on about being Asian and let them all go, oh, and like play with that yeah, bit of the audience. Yeah, yeah. From day dot, he wasn't afraid of that, whereas I was afraid of, I'm not going to leave any gaps here. I think that was a bad habit. Um, I... You know what? I was I was I, w- I was a compare quite early on. Like I think probably like you, I yeah. got into comparing really quickly, and I was really bad at if I was talking to someone, I wouldn't go. They're giving me nothing. I'm going to move on to someone else straight away. I would like drill down and down and down and spend ten minutes getting nothing from this person, and that was a really bad habit, especially when I was comparing about fifty percent of the time. Yes. Okay. Okay. That that I really remember that distinctly. Kind of really kind of like running a couple of gigs into the ground properly because I just wouldn't let this one person, I'm going to win this battle. (laughs) Um, I wonder if there are, I wonder if there are some tropes, like I've watched a fair bit of your stuff on YouTube from some of it from a long time ago, the, the everlasting chortle award set, which is, (laughs) yeah, my, uh, my, my, my fourth ever gig is online. (laughs) 
you poor bastard. I think people and for, probably five years. Did you ago, see the frog and bucket one? The seventh. Oh no, seventh I didn't. Gig. I don't think I saw oh, that. Uh, it's a proper death, oh, and God. Steve won't take it down, and I've offered him money. Yeah, <laughs> this is it. This is. I mean, one of the big one of the big secrets in comedy is that uh, if you search Chortle New Act and the name of any famous comedian, <laughs> chances are it's there, and Steve will not take it down. Yeah, but, um, absolutely. I, I wonder if, in like, I spotted a couple of kind of tropes that you were doing yeah, and those on. things which are things like um like i've always thought of it like artificial artificial jeopardy when you kind of tell a story i don't mean you personally i mean this is like, yeah. it's a trope a lot of people would do this i go and then this guy said the funniest thing i've ever heard you yes. know where you kind of artifact where one artificially inflates build up of tension do you know what i mean yeah um, I'm, I'm also, um, I'm really bad, um, and I still do this, and, I, and it's weird actually, um, um, a comedian sent me an unsolicited email after he'd seen me, and my first joke is about a, a funny, a, um, getting a heckle, me putting the guy down and the guy saying something funnier back, and he said, you should be the funniest person in all the conversations, yeah. whereas I've got, a, I, I think, and I still sure. do this, I'm very much like, this, I was in a situation where something funny happened, but I wasn't the funny thing. And I think that's a trope that I still use now a lot. Yes. And I try to not do that. I try to write jokes rather than I was I was at a thing that happened. Yes. Yes, I think that's I think that's fair. I, I do see that yeah. person's point. Um and I listen, I'm not gonna stand here no, and say no. I've never offered people unsolicited advice, which But I it wasn't four paragraphs of an email, do, was it? When you've not think... seen each other for eight years. No, <laughs> But I, I think I think of that as comedy reportage, yes. and there was a lot of that. And I think I think yeah, that's partly al- al- almost the Russell Howard effect. I think he he did exceptional kind of like this thing happened and this thing happened and, and kind of breathed lots of life into strange little random encounters, yes. whether they happened or not, and always yeah. presented as if they did. And I think I've, there's I've a lot of that. Known, a lot of know, and all my bits are less so now. I've sort of started to go in a bit more. A, a couple of bits, especially sort of slightly more observational, but it's all stories of things that have happened. Like you say, whether they're fiction or not, and you inflate yeah. them in whatever way. This guy said the best thing ever, and there's a lot of that. Yeah, 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 yeah. and there's a, a lot of that kind of, and this genuinely yeah, exactly. Happened, and you're like, well, and no, I, I, I know that. you're lying. <laughs> you know that kind of stuff. Like, what? How does it serve the story to know that something genuinely happened? Like what? Just yeah, tell yeah, us yeah. a funnier thing it's, that um, you made up. And it's that, <laughs> Do you know what I mean? That, so it was a lot of that to begin with. I think it, it, I was never really until the, like the last few years. I've been better at writing gags within stories. Like, but it was very much something happened and this was funny yeah. and that was funny rather than like basically retelling stories. Like, I remember, I remember the two and a half stars I got in Chortle for my Edinburgh show yeah. in 2017 from Jay Richardson, uh, in which he implied that I might be a paedophile uh, because of my fascination with young men's anuses. <laughs> uh, because I had... Right. H- hence him presumably well, knocking you know off half the, a the star. review, <laughs> I, I in invite case. anyone to go and read. Uh, I, I had a really good run that year. I got re- It was the only bad review I got. And he came on the fourth day and Steve didn't put it out till after the fringe. Because I think even Steve knew it was brutal. I think even Steve went, this is, I've seen that. This is, this is harsh. But. Okay. But, what, which, but which, he said sorry, basically, you were gonna he, refer went, to a specific... he went, he spends an hour regaling things that have happened to other people. And I was like, "Yeah." And do you uh, think do you think that was fair? No. Um, yes, I. Well, yes, in a, yes, and no. So, yes, I think it is fair in that in that show. I look back, and there's probably a 
one or two too many bits. That I think one bit like that is fine. Or maybe two bits spread out. There was probably one or two too many stories like that that were that hadn't happened to me, that had happened to a friend, and I'm retelling them. And also in that show, I read out, once again, my weird yeah. life of my sort of reality things. There's quite a lot of slash fiction written about me on the internet. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Where I've, talk, I've talk seen about the bit. I've ha- seen, yes, of course. Okay. And it yeah. is, it's slash fiction written about you. Yeah. You can legitimately respond yeah, to so it. Yeah, so um, I, did a, uh, I, did a, so I did a show where I basically read out, dr- dramatically read out in between stand-up I'd sit on a stool in a you know in a single spotlight and would dramatically read the gay erotica that had been written about me and Harry Styles and um and he went well he's just reading yeah. things off the internet and I was like you you know I've because it, it exists but you know I've written this stuff like you're I think he was he doesn't he's never reviewed me well and I think he took everything at face value to sort of just like demean me but it did look like the point of it was these people are writing these weird things about me on the internet but i had written all of them to make them funny i see and did you tell the audience that you'd written them or is it is it the case that you were pretending something had been written you read it out and a reviewer said that they kind of took it at face value and said yeah yeah, because because none of them because it's one of those like i read out four or five little bits and i was like none of no one writes erotica with a gag every 30 seconds so that i've clearly taken some of these things and like (laughs) reworked them into better things you know and like and written some Yes. Okay. But you're doing like a magician. You're doing yes, that exactly. whilst pretending not to do that. And then, can, can you really complain? Yeah, if, 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 if Jay Richardson, who you know has seen uh, and... more comedy than most human beings on the planet, didn't know what I was doing. <laughs> God, he hates me. And um, uh, but the thing is, I was really hoping for Julia Chamberlain. Like I, I you know, but uh, never mind. Um, she said she couldn't review me because we get on too well. And I was like, that's the point of why I want you to come and review me, Julia. Um, but I, there's a lot of that at the beginning, and I think less so now. Do I do those things of um of the I've got this story and this thing happened to this guy I knew and oh my god isn't this crazy? Whereas to begin with, that's mm. all my stuff was pretty much. And do you do you recognise a kind of a maturity in your writing? Like, what is it you're looking for when you write? Because I think that that kind of early Matt, we can look at him and go, this guy just wanted to be having fun getting laughs. No. And it's, it's, there's nothing wrong with that. But if you there's enough people out there just wanting to get a laugh, have fun, have the kind of enjoy the sensory experience of being a comic and a compare and all those kind of things and travel the world. There's, that is a complete, you know, that's the kind of the, the, the circuit dream to which so many newer comics or, or aspiring yep. comics uh, aspire. Um, and then you kind of go, actually, if you want to build a crowd and if you want to compete in a very crowded marketplace, you need to refine, you either need to be the yep. best guy at reportage or you need to be, you need to refine yeah, your and I own think as I've voice older, as a comic. A lot of my stuff has become... I, I do quite a lot of bits that, like, uh, I would say are, oh, wow, this is this is overshare. This is quite an intimate thing to talk about. Like, I've got a joke at the moment about how um, uh, foreplay for me starts, uh, because I'm on antidepressants, so foreplay for me starts two weeks before, so I, have to, so I can taper off my meds so I can maybe come. Um, and, like, that's quite, I think that's a very intimate okay. thing to go... And like, and I've started that as I've yeah. gotten older. It's sort of more stuff like that of being like quite sort of visceral in a way of going. This is something that is quite an intimate thing to talk about, but I'm not afraid to sort of say it because I think we all have a similar experience. Like, you know, like 
like my the tampon bit I have. I have this long old tampon bit that is sort of in my set and it has been for a while. And it's about removing my girlfriend's tampon because she was too drunk to do it herself and sort of being very honest about going, well, I don't know anything about, I've never been taught about tampons. So these are all the thoughts I've had about tampons while I'm doing this bit. And I, But as I've gotten older, what I want is a gag rate, really, that I think when I was younger, I was, like, I think I had gags, but now it's, a story that I think 10 years ago I'd have gone, oh, that'll work. Now it takes me two years to get to a point where I want it to be where I'm happy with it. Okay. Is it telling it in such a way that it's a kind of a loose, fun, lively retelling upon which you you happen upon jokes? Or is there a sort of sit-down so craft, chip-away kind of So I am now really element? trying the chip-away craft element, which has never been my bag. My bag has always been... I've had this funny idea and I'm going to keep doing it on stage. And that was the beauty of comparing all the time is I could kind of just drop little bits in and they would slowly grow. Um, mm-hmm. But now I've, I've tried to go, okay, I've got this bit. It's a funny idea, but that's not enough anymore. I, I want a joke every 30 seconds and I'm trying to write the jokes within the bits now. But for me, I'm much more of a, mm-hmm. oh, I've got the, I need to try this. I, I had, I've got a bit that, I remember doing, do you know, uh, obviously this is a nerdy enough podcast, I can reference tiny gigs, can't I? Um, you know, so the fighting cocks in Kingston outside the yeah, box. Yeah. Um, I spent a year comparing it every other yeah. week. And I had a joke and I was like, I know this is going to work. Okay. But, and it's the same crowd that go to that gig every week. And I, and I just kept trying it in different <laughs> ways until they went, yeah, that's the one, lovely. And like, but that's kind of how it works out right. for me. And then, you know, bits naturally fall away or get added. I, I'm really trying the writing thing. I'm yes. really trying to do it now because my turnover is, is low. I, I've, I've never okay. written at two hours, two years on the trot, ever. Like I wrote an hour in 2017. Mm-hmm. I wrote an, and some of that was a bit older because I'd never done Edinburgh before. I did an extra half an hour. I think, you know, the oldest bit of my set at the moment is probably well i guess the pandemic doesn't count so it's probably like three or four years old but there is one joke in there that is eight years mm-hmm. old if i'm doing a club and if i feel like i need it but i'm not like zoe lyons who every time i see okay. zoe i'm like well there's a new 10 minutes in this like she just churns because she sits and writes and i'm trying to be better at my turnover and do you think do you think that is a um uh a decision you've come to later on in the day than some because you're busy. Yeah, I've not had to do Edinburgh in other TV So I, I think, you know, people also, mm. I came to Edinburgh later in the point where Edinburgh, there's not so much stock in Edinburgh anymore. You know, it used to be, you know, in the late 90s, early 2000s, like, God, you do Edinburgh and that, that's the way you get seen. Whereas now there's so many different avenues and things. So I've never been on that grind of writing an hour every year. So I've never had the discipline. I think... I remember, what was it, that, was it Ellis James maybe once said to me that you, the, the second hour you go, I can't do this again. Like, I'll never write another hour of comedy. But then after you've done that second one, you go, mm-hmm. oh, this is fine. I can do this every year. But I've never done that, so I'm yeah. scared of yeah. chucking everything away and starting again. I'm quite, I'm very attached to bits. So, like, I had a bit that was in my set for quite, like, a good four yeah. years, and it isn't anymore, um, uh, and that and it's just, it naturally fell away as another bit got bigger, and I was like, I, I never, I always thought I'd end on that for my whole career, and um, and I still feel like that about bits that are in my set now. Like I am very scared to go and just go right. I need to start again. Like I, I'm worried I will never write anything else again. Yes, 
Yes. Well, listen, we know that the cave you fear to enter yeah, holds the treasure you seek. Right? And like, so, I'm, so yeah, and, and you know is what? that what you've got I'm to also do? I'm terrible at getting to a new material gig, doing a couple of new bits that like are sort of half-baked and I need to work out really, and then going, Ugh, and then just doing 10 minutes of absolute crackers like that that i'm i'm terrible at that and it's a waste of my time yeah it is 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 that fear fear? is that fear um, you know what i saw the the other day one of the best things i've seen recently i saw mickey flanagan doing new material at the boat uh, uh on a tuesday and he didn't really have anything and he and he didn't have the best gig of the night and it was really interesting just kind of watching him kind of work it out and just have that confidence because He's he's Mickey Flanagan, obviously, but but just to go, yeah, I'm gonna have to die to make this good. It's gonna be shit to begin with, and I'm scared of that bit. <laughs> if I could, if I could be handed yeah. a polished ten minute routine every four weeks, I would take that deal. The, I find writing really hard. Do you do you what steps have you taken? I mean, good for you for saying so. I admire your your candor. Have you taken any steps to deal with that? Have you ever kind of thought, well, why don't we get in cahoots with a, a newer act who writes for Mock the Week or someone, or why don't why don't I kind of build up a relationship with a specific person? And maybe if that relationship tends towards they start being the power behind the throne and they write the gear for me, because clearly what you love doing is being on like more so than you. I mean, I mean tell, tell me, I say clearly, tell me if this, I'm incorrect in this assumption, but you seem to love yeah. being up there, doing it, getting the laughs more than you have a burning desire to express a- your inner Absolutely, like I don't have self-same. anything that I think is important that I want to write and do that I think people need to hear. You know, I, I really love performing. I'm a performer who writes so I can perform, n- not the other way around. And I think sure. um, uh, it's... I've never done that power behind the throne thing, um, mostly because it's quite expensive. Um, but uh, also, like, I do really want to be good at it. And I think if I did that, because I think I'm getting better as a writer and I'm writing better jokes and things, it's just taken me a lot longer to get there than some other people. And I've been a bit too scared yeah. to push, like you say, enter the cave enter the cave with the treasure and i think that is it's only the since the pandemic really that i've gone i'm gonna really start pushing myself to even if it's like finding a new two minutes within a routine like that's i'm finding that really satisfying as Mm -hmm. well and like really trying to expand everything so Mm -hmm. i love comedians that do like you go and see michael mcintyre and he does 25 minutes on one thing and I love that. I think that's just amazing. And I and I want to do yeah. that with my things now, rather than going. I've got this joke about this thing. I'm like, I've got a bit. It's this chunk about it that I can just do. And I'm trying to like expand yeah. things that are older, as well as coming up with new things that could then potentially be longer. It's just to begin with, they're one joke that's not that funny, and I hate that. <laughs> Here's one joke from ten years ago, and if I can just expand it, then um, I won't uh, need to feel. Was it, someone was I've talking to nothing. me about the other day about the um, uh, the Beatles documentary, in that, uh, and I've not watched it on Disney Plus, but they said that "Let It Be" came mm. from a song that was like a, a song they'd sort of written fifteen years before, or like ten ten years before, that didn't quite work out, okay. and they'd gone back to it, and then it became "Let It Be." And so I'm now also yeah, like right. since. Okay. <laughs> and you thought, yeah, really? But, but this legitimizes my approach. The notebooks I've ever had. <laughs> so I've now gone. Oh, maybe I'll go back through because stuff that yeah. w- I wasn't good enough to do, I might now be good enough to talk about. Yes. 
I have d- I did that um, for my second yeah. year. I went back through all my notebooks, my second hour, and I haven't really done it since. And there's a lot of notebooks, and there's I suppose I have because the notebooks became on an online note taking app. So I've occasionally kind of rifled through that. But there's definitely value in that. The bit I mean, I've not seen the Beatles documentary either, but I did see a tiny clip on social media, which is um, Paul writing yeah. uh, "Get Back." And apparently the context of it, and I, I say this unseen, I say this purely from the notes on someone's post. Apparently they were like they needed three extra tracks, and the deadlines come in, so he just starts improvising on a guitar and kind of like just kind of like you know singing, yeah, yeah, but yeah. like just singing notes and la rather than words. And he just you watch it for three minutes, and it just turns into get back, and you're like, I guess that's how you write a song. Right? <laughs> Do you know what I mean? Deadline pressure confidence in ability yeah. relaxing into the process I th- yeah, and just I think kind of free fall I mean, so I'm not brave uh, I'm not a brave comic I don't think when it comes to trying things I remember you know uh, seeing just seeing people go up with notebooks and things and just acts that I really admire absolutely die doing this new stuff and they're like well none of that's any good and I'm like but I want but I, I want them to love me and like I'm, a f- I'm, I'm afraid of not having that good gig, yeah. and I'm, a f- I'm, a f- I feel embarrassed if it doesn't work, and I, and then I lose confidence in it in myself. So I'm, I would say I'm a wimp, I'm a coward when it comes to new material. When let's just drill, if we may, slightly further into that, because the desire. I don't know if it's cowardice, but the yeah. the experience of having a bad gig, that kind of exposed feeling, that awful feeling, is. Yeah. I mean, it's it's horrendous, and I'm sure it keeps people, it keeps loads of people out of ever trying comedy, <laughs> which benefits us in some ways. Um, but it, and also, it's and it's something which people who haven't felt it have never felt anything like it. You know, it's it's a, its own unique, painful thing. You mentioned the desire to be loved, and you mentioned earlier on, and forgive me if this is a, 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 an unusual yeah. connection, but you mentioned antidepressants earlier on, which surprised me because I suppose you are yeah. so bubbly and outgoing and enthusiastic. And I wonder to what extent we were talking about one's identity as a comic. Certainly for me, it's a huge deal to unpick my identity yeah, separate of course. to my identity yeah, as definitely. a comic. And I think it's healthy to do so, and it takes a bit of time. Um, but what is the relationship between your mental health and your work and so, your um, work when the reason I'm on antidepressants is I have obsessive compulsive disorder and so I take antidepressants as a treatment for that certainly ah, saved my life brilliant okay. um, but when I, okay. I but the reason the, the, okay. my relationship with it was is the only time I wasn't having unpleasant obsessive thoughts was when I was on stage when I first started comedy and I hadn't sought treatment yet um, it was that 10 minutes and sort of the okay. 20 minutes in the car afterwards that buzz I go oh my god I've I've not been thinking I've just been like I'm so high on the gig so I ended up doing my first year I did like 300 gigs my second year I did like I gigged so much because for me that was like a bit of a release so it, I kind of found my I'd found the pill that had cured it. It just cured it for 20 minutes a night. <laughs> Whereas yeah. now I, I take, I take antidepressants sure. and it's, and but they are an off uh, sort of an off label treatment for uh, the obsessive compulsive disorder. Yeah. Yeah. But I gotcha. Okay. So does that, well then let me, because if that's a kind of a, no, a no, not kind of connection to have made, um, well, What's the relationship then between between that between the kind of the fact of if in your in your teens you were self medicating for yeah. OCD by gigging, 
Like, what kind of comic does that turn yeah, you into? Is, I, I is think, that part so. of why you fear it going wrong? Is that fear less to, less to do with, oh, I'm going to lose my dignity? And it's more that, like, oh, I won't be able to touch that sort of calm place I, I that I associate the, with being um, funny I don't on stage. want the reality. I don't want the real life. I want, I want the life on stage where everyone likes me and everyone's laughing. Like, I, I am, uh, like compulsed by having good gigs like I, I know loads of comics that are like well sometimes you've got to have a bad gig to get stuff to work and I'm like no I can't I, I, I can't see how that works I have to because you associate you associate it not working yeah basically almost yeah yeah, yeah pretty much because like good that with, gigs yeah. would then keep me happy in the car ride home you know whereas like bad gigs oh you're straight back down to earth whereas a good gig you can ride that adrenaline and that dopamine um, to because that's what antidepressants do, don't they? They fill your dopamine receptors, and that's what a good gig does. So it's it's exactly that. And I think, um, yeah, I was sort of compulsed to always have a good gig. Like I would never be someone that would go, well, you've got to kind of like have these sort of iffy gigs with bits. O- only when I only yes. more recently have I kind of gone, I need to just grin and bear that. It's become a bit of a problem that I will go to a new material yeah. night and not do any new material because. I don't think it's good. I'm like, oh, I can't bear the fact that this is going to be crap. It's a big part of the the creative process, isn't it? Failure. Yeah, it's part, and if you're if you're so failure averse, yeah, if you're so yeah. averse to failure, then then you'll always, as you say, you'll be compelled to um, to to not risk it. And if you don't yeah. risk, then that has effects. That has like kind of compound interest, long term effects. Of on course, it does. Your creativity, the discoveries you make, and ultimately, one might guess your uh your position as a comic your opportunities as a comic your ability to grow an audience as a comic absolutely you know like if ultimately like say long term if i wanted to keep doing this and keep doing certain things and be able to what we all want really you know you 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 spend you spend your entire new act career trying to get on the circuit and then you get on the circuit and then you're trying to get off uh, to go and tour and things you know sarah millican it writes like does a new tour eight months after her last tour because she because she sits and writes and does new material gigs and fails and fails whereas i'm afraid that if that's the place i want to go i can't do that because i've stagnated in this area where i'm afraid to do those bits i'm afraid to do the shit to you know i'm afraid to crawl through the shit to get out of shawshank yeah Yeah. you know i'm i have to do that bit and i've really started pushing myself now to do it more so what we need to do to cure this is to create uh, a reality show in which you have to crawl through some shit. <laughs> in which case, <laughs> the fun of doing it will like if we can create a show whereby the game is to have the worst stand-up gig you can. You could would that cure your compulsion? Because yeah, almost. the fun of the game. Well, it's like that the Radio Four show. Don't make me laugh. Like that would like yeah. I did, I did a run through where they were kind of developing it, and okay. that was that was fun, but it was weird. Like it is weird because we are because comedians can't help themselves. Yes, but, but that's I interesting. To, I I need to also start going to be brave enough of going. That's my best bit. I'm getting rid of that to write a new best bit. Yeah, I'm just I am too. Atta- I'm I'm too attached to what works and too afraid of getting things that don't work to work in the process that takes. I think. And that's my biggest weakness. With what little I know of OCD in general and your OCD particularly, 
do you think that has even though you're you're kind of medicating for it and you're coping with it is there an element of it which feeds into that kind of clinging on to to stuff like the almost the the process by which you experience not wanting to let go of stuff is that is that connected to it do you think Uh, yes and i and i am like i'm a i'm a i'm a creature of habit like i i and i think it's that thing of i like i like what i like i eat the same five meals every you know like those kind of things and i think it's a little bit like that i've got a set i'm really happy with i don't need to try avocado you know it's it's sort of basically like that i am very yeah yeah i'm very i'd say very much so but i just i just need to be my whole thing is i'm not brave enough and i think i love seeing comedians who just every time i see them i'm like god there's so much more in this 20 that's great and you know zoe zoe lyons is my favorite comedian on the circuit like the circuit kind of touring world if zoe's my like comedy hero like i admire everything she does i think she's so talented but she just turns material over like nobody's business yeah and i just it's like magic to me (laughs) but but i don't see the process she goes through to get those bits i just see her every six months when she's got the new bit done and i i think once again not to reference the same book but jimmy carr's book about you know, it's mostly failure, this job. It's mm-hmm. mostly things that don't get made, that don't get laughs and all that. And like, it was really reassuring to listen to. It's really changed my perspective on comedy, actually, which is really, I wasn't <laughs> expecting it to. I was expecting, you know, an autobiography, not a, a book yeah. that kind of made me think, yeah, I need to be braver and need to push myself more. But it has really kind of put me in a different mindset. What's your favourite opening line of another comedian and why? Uh, my favourite opening line of another comedian and why uh, is the Ramesh line uh, yes. that he used to do. Uh, that, of, uh, yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So um, that that would be my favourite opening line of. And and the why is specifically because of the your your kind of envy of how he waits. Yes, and also I just think it's a great gag as well. Yeah. All oh, I love when Steve Hughes used to come out and go. I'm thinking the same thing about you people. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That sure. I thought was a really gorgeous <laughs> opening line as well because because it's sort of a really clever way of doing the I know what you're thinking. Yeah, but it, yeah. it's just just the phrasing of it is a really beautiful little bit. If you had one quality that got you where you are in your comedy career, besides your ability to tell jokes, what would it be? The, if I've got one quality, like um, non comedy performance related, I was I'm very good at the booking gig side of things. I'm very... I, I, I mean, I, I have... Sean Olmy uh, does my club gigs, but when I started, I was better at admin than everyone else. <laughs> we never go into that. What are, your, what are your top three admin tips for new comics? My top three admin tips are just, like, email... Ev- I just... I went and found every gig in every town. I googled towns and comedy clubs and open mic nights, and I found them, got the contact, and just applied for every single gig and did that. I would just... I was just relentlessly, I would try, basically when I, I dropped out of uni to do comedy full time and my dad worked from home said, look, you, whatever time you get in, you get eight hours sleep, then I wake you up and you sit and you either write or you do admin. So he, <laughs> he thought, thought, I will do admin, please. I'll do the admin, actually. <laughs> um, but what I would say is with, with that is, I, because my dad said to me, this needs to, you need to turn this, this is a job. Yep. This is your job now. You need to treat it as such. 
it meant that I would try and apply for like 10 gigs a day. That was my kind of thing in my head when I was new is I would try and get 10 gigs in my, like not get them in the diary necessarily, but I'd send 10 emails to people a day asking for gigs. Mm -hmm. And that's where I really benefited. I think of my generation of comics, I was sort of very much known as like the one that is gigging all the time. Yeah. So that was that's the one quality. That's good. That's very interesting, actually, because you were very quick at getting back to me <laughs> when we were organising this. Yeah. Every email I sent you, every WhatsApp message I sent you, immediately pinged back, and I, that is uncommon. Yeah, yeah. I really I, look. I'm good at that side of it. Even now, I, I'm like because I want to book things. I, I just like booking things in. I really want my diary to be full, mm-hmm. and I'm very on that side of it. And I think there's loads of great comedians that fell by the wayside when I started because they just couldn't really be bothered. And like, weren't very good at that bit. And I probably wasn't the funniest, but because I was doing more gigs than anyone else, I got funnier quicker. Great answer. Um, how do you cope with failure? How do you cope when it goes wrong? Um, I, if, if it's the only way I cope with it is um, is if I <laughs> if it's not my fault, if if it was totally out of my control, I, I don't I don't mind at all. So if you do a gig and it's unplayable for various reasons, then it's fine. The only, the only time I really struggle with failure is when I get off and I go, I, I could have done that better. I yeah. didn't give that bit quite the right inflection there because I couldn't be asked. Mm-hmm. That's when I really beat myself up. But otherwise, if it fails because of things outside of my control, great. I did a corporate um, thing a couple of years ago. And uh, they opened, uh, they, they kind of got in touch and they opened by going, we're aware this gig's unplayable. And I went, well, then yes, I'll do it. Because if it goes badly, who gives a shit? They, they've said that. Why was it unplayable? What did they consider made it unplayable? So it was a property management awards and they just said they, there was no, they just said every year they're just so hammered and so rowdy. Like it was this, it was like estate agents. They're like, they're really cokey and rowdy and nutty. And they're like, everyone does it and tries to do stand up. They're like, don't even bother. Just go in and do the awards and like get through it. And I ended up having quite a fun time yes, because, because I went in with no, with no great, pressure. Great. I and once you know, did an, over, I did an overseas gig where we got off the plane. The guy met us at the, at the, uh, at the airport and said, uh, well, no one has a good time here. Let's all just get through it. And suddenly all the comics relaxed and we went, great, let's just have a fun time. And as a result, we all had a much nicer gig because we've established the parameters exactly. are you won't be letting anyone down to do badly here. I only get nervous at nice gigs. I never, I get nervous at clubs that everyone, my least favourite thing to hear from another comic is, oh my God, that club is just like, it's never not good. Yeah. <laughs> Which is, I mean, now that I, I book the Comedy Cellar in Bracknell, I'm using that line a lot to get people in. Um, but it is, but, you know, that's the worst thing to hear. Like, I remember Ginglick. Do you remember that gig in the toilet? Yes, yes. Um, and I remember people oh, like, I have oh. a very mixed memories of Ginglick. I had great gigs there and some real shockers. Yeah, but I had, like TV I people the, who were all cool I remember people skin. going, oh, it's so good. Oh, my God, Ginglick is amazing. <laughs> and then I did it, and it was one of the, it was like my first 10 for CKP as well. Um, so I really wanted to get in with them, like because they, they, they had loads of gigs at the time, and it was an absolute disaster. And I, that was so I hate that. That I really struggle with. Are you happy? Yes, I would say I'm the happiest I've ever been in my stand-up world as well. Like I'm, I'm really proud of uh, 
where I sit in the whole stand-up thing now, and I think I, that's made me happy. Like, I'm sort of closing all the big clubs now and kind of having loads of fun gigs and just really enjoying myself and sort of people are excited to book me or want to book me, and that's made me really satisfied with work. And also, um, I've got a great home life. I've got, you know, a wonderful girlfriend, and we've lived together for years, and I think that really helps you be happy with comedy when comedy's not your only thing. Thanks, man. Thank you so much. It's been an absolute pleasure. So that was Matt. What a joy. What an absolute joy. Always put a smile on my face talking to him. And um, yeah, some some very valuable tips there uh, on hammering the admin. And actually, we didn't talk in depth about spreadsheets. I wonder how he keeps all that shit together. But um, maybe his neurodiversity assists him in that regard. Who knows? Thank you so much to Matt. Great to, to get him on. And I have to say, Matt, I didn't mention this at the time, but I always used to gently bully you for looking like one of the uh, one of Ned Flanders' children. And I, to be honest, you've grown into your face a bit and I don't think that's uh, an appropriate jive anymore um, but thank you what what a joy and uh, just you know Ah, you, you know, you know what I'm like. You can always hear the smile in my voice when I've listened back to him a bit, and uh, and and really genuinely thought the guest was a barrel of laughs. Now we are going to. Oh, I'll, I'll post Amblet in a second because I'm off to South by Southwest. Uh, and probably by the time you hear this, I might be in the air or already there. But in real time, as I understand it, it's still about uh, 36 hours away. Um, but I've got a bit of an update there. Um, you can find out more about Matt Richardson. 25 minutes of extras in which we'll talk a bit more about his presenting career. Uh, we'll talk about uh, the Joel Domit effect, whatever that is. Um, we'll talk about coach trip. We'll talk about relatability. Um, we'll talk about how you play the game of doing well on reality TV and exactly what he was looking for beyond stand-up. So loads of du- loads of stuff to enjoy there uh, if you're in the Insiders Club. Comedianscomedian.com slash insiders. Join for a minimum £2 a month or as much as you want to, uh, as much as you want to support the show with as much as much as with which you want to support the show. It's nonsense. Um, but uh, go to comedianscomedian.com slash insiders to find out about that. And everything I'm up to is at stuartgoldsmith.com. And on either of those pages, you can join the mailing list, which will get you access to the video of last year's uh, Zoom Q&A with uh, James Acaster. And every time I think of that, every, and you also got the mailing list, um, every time I recall that and the brilliant ones with Alfie Brown and Fern Brady, Nish Kumar, I think to myself... Do more of them. They were so fun. I'm going to, I think, uh, yeah. Podcast host promises to do anything. Immaterial. But who knows? Maybe soon. Um, that's very exciting. Uh, I'll post down at you shortly, as I said. Thank you to uh, Matt for coming on the show, to uh, uh, Nathan Wood for producing and uploading the show. Uh, thank you to Jake Crossland for the logging, your podcast consultant, and my South by Southwest pal is Peter Dobbing, provided we can both get the numerous uh, dots uh, dotted and T's crossed with the various COVID protocols. Um, and this podcast exists exclusively as a sort of mental crutch for Brett Goldstein. Speak to you soon. Well, this is the post-amble, because I, as I said, I've got very little time in which to do things. I'll say thanks to my friend Sam for helping me buy the world's best tripod for a camera, and everyone that suggested the Sony A6400, that's what I went for, and holy moly, it's great. Um, and Sam has also uh, given me a link to uh, a light, which I bought immediately, because it's like having the moon in your... Uh, 
seller. Did I mention this before? I've mentioned, I've whinged for the last two years about recording stuff and, and doing Zoom gigs and online gigs and what have you from my seller. I've whinged like, God, here I am trapped in a cellar. Only very recently did I realise that uh, if you live in London or have a small house, uh, that's a huge boast. Apologies. I don't live in London. And uh, although the house is small, it has a cellar. And I'm in it now, freezing my nuts off. Um, bad news, I'm afraid. Fans of Jim Gaffigan, I'm really sorry we had him in. He was all booked and everything for uh, for South by Southwest. Uh, I'm afraid Jim is no longer able to do that. Um, there was also the vaguest possibility of an incredible stand-in, which one day I might tell you if I see you in person. Um, but they seem unable to do it either. We have, however, the brilliant Byron Bowers who has had one hell of a life and turns it into comedy gold as well as the genuinely sensational Dulce Sloan and I'll repeat what I said uh, last week if you haven't yet seen Eddie Pepitone's special it's called For the Masses it's released by 800 Pound Gorilla it's available on their YouTube channel For the Masses Eddie Pepitone's new special I think it only went up six months ago it is a masterpiece and listen to it as homework for the Eddie, Eddie Pepitone Returns live special that's going to be happening in Texas this weekend um, I have a thing to say oh this is it I've got, look it's a bit of a a spruik, uh, which you know the Aussies love that word, um, and email me to tell me. Um, Chops Comedy is mine and Mr David Hawes Club, um, which also has uh, a relationship with uh, the fabulous Tony Quixote, um, who we hope will return to the fold before too long. We've had some incredible headliners there. We don't reveal who the headliner is until the night. It pretty much always sells out the night before. Um, we've had people like Ahir Shah, Mike Wozniak, John Hastings. We've had Olga Koch. Uh, we've had Jade Adams. We've had Stu Goldsmith. He's on fire at the minute. Bilal Zafar. We've had um, we've had. Alan Mr. Beckett King. Uh, we've had wonderful, wonderful people. John Robertson's been there as well. It's just brilliant. There's there's so many great acts there, and it's um, such a lovely, intimate little club. Only seats about 45, 50 people. Um, so find out everything you want to. I think you can go to chopscomedy.com and it will punt you onto the Facebook page. That's probably it. Um, but uh, you should get along to that if you're in Bristol. It's every Tuesday night, uh, and it's just such a lovely little vibe of a room. And I'm doing new stuff most weeks. Uh, new stuff every time I go. I just don't go all the time. Um, but uh, it's it's a joy and it's really... Oh, I don't even know if I can mention... I mean, look, I'm doing Edinburgh, right? It's not an official announcement, but I am doing Edinburgh and I'm doing a bunch of warm-ups before I go to Edinburgh. And it's only a little so it should be super fun. But I don't know if I'm allowed to tell you yet, so I'm going to shut my yap and find out. And I don't see why I wouldn't be allowed to tell you, but probably I'll do some sort of big fanfare thing. And here's a thing. I need some new merch. I need so I would like some new merch. I'd like a new design. What shall we do? We had Polly Becker's sensational kind of horse sheriff's bad for years. Uh, the original ComCom pod one back in the day when I thought putting the Twitter handle on a T-shirt was a good idea. And then more recently, of course, we and that's a few years ago now, we had the brilliant Bees Fuckham design um, that the wonderful Lise Richardson did for us. So we need a new one. I need ideas. First, I need ideas for what the thing could be. And then I need suggestions of who could do it for us. Um, and we should do that because I just, I want some more merch. I want finally, every Christmas, I think we should have mugs. We're having mugs this year. I've said it. Um, so give me a shout and let me know and, uh, send in your suggestions, please. That's that. I'm going to go and do a jigsaw with my dad. Um, not a euphemism. <laughs> Bye for now. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. And if you have a lot of mailing to do, Stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. 
It streamlines your processes to make your business more efficient, which makes you less busy. Mail checks, invoices, legal documents, and everything you need to keep your business running with Stamps.com. Seamlessly connect with every major marketplace and shopping cart. Schedule package pickups and see your cheapest and fastest shipping options from different carriers. With rates up to 89% off USPS and UPS rates. And with the Stamps.com mobile app, you can take care of mailing and shipping wherever you are. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Sign up with code PROGRAM for a 4-week trial, plus free postage and a free digital scale. No long-term commitments or contracts. That's stamps.com. Code program.